Welcome to Commentaries on the Book of the Prophet Jeremiah and the Lamentations by John Calvin, Volume 1. We are continuing to read at page 107 today, which is Lecture 7th for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourself to reading. He who will not use the thought of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now to SWRB's reading of Commentaries on the Book of the Prophet Jeremiah and the Lamentations by John Calvin, John Calvin Volume 1, which we hope you find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. John 14.6 Lecture 7 Verse 20 for of old time I have broken thy yoke, and burst thy bands, and thou saidst, I will not transgress, when upon every high hill, and under every green tree, thou wanderest, playing the harlot. As there are two readings in Hebrew, two meanings are given. For some think the verb to be obed, obed, and others ober, ober, the two letters being very similar. If we read I will not pass over, or I will not transgress. The sense is, when I broke thy yoke, that is, when I delivered thee from the tyranny of Egypt, then thou didst pledge thy faith to me. The covenant then made between God and the Israelites was mutual, for as God received them under his protection, when he became, as it were, their patron, so they, on the other hand, promised to submit to his authority. If we take this reading, the passage is an expostulation, as though God condemned here the people for their ingratitude and perfidy. But the prophet seems to mean another thing, and therefore I prefer the other reading, I will not serve. And yet I reject what interpreters have alleged. For this passage, I have no doubt, has been perverted. The prevailing exposition has been this, I will not serve idols. And they who seemed endued with some judgment did not see that this sense is unsuitable and strained or too far-fetched. And it may have been, and it seems to me probable, that for this reason the letter had been changed. For I'll give this explanation. Thou hast said, I will not serve idols, but it is wholly a strained comment. Now, on the contrary, I think that God here complains that the liberty which he had given to his people was turned into licentiousness. And this view is exactly suitable, as it is evident from the context. For from old time have I broken thy yoke, and burst thy bonds. Therefore thou hast said, I will not serve, that is, when thou oughtest to have devoted thyself to me, who had become thy redeemer, thou thoughtest that liberty to do thine own will was granted thee. And then the proof given of this is in every way appropriate. For on every high hill, and under every shady tree, didst thou run here and there like a harlot. 
Then God shows that his redemption had been ill bestowed on the ungodly, who made a bad use of their privilege. For hence it was that they gave themselves up to all kinds of lasciviousness. If anyone prefers the other reading, I will not contend with him. And then the sense is, I have long ago shaken off thy yoke and burst thy bands, and thou hast said, he speaks of the people as of a woman, for the feminine gender is used, and this is done because God sustains the character of a husband towards that people. And whenever he accused them of defection, it was as though a husband charged an unchaste wife with the crime of adultery. Thou hast then said to me, that is, promised to me, that thou wouldst not transgress. Or in other words, thou hast promised to be faithful to me and pledged mutual chastity. Then the particle, non-English word, which is commonly a causative, is to be taken here according to its meaning in some other parts of scripture as an adversative. Yet on every high hill and under every shady tree thou didst run here and there like harlots who are seeking lovers. But as I have already said, it seems to me more probable that God is here expostulating within the people, because they availed themselves of the favor of liberty as an occasion for licentiousness and wantonness. And thus the whole passage reads well, and every clause is most suitable, consistent the one with the other. What God says, that he had broken the yoke and burst the bands, is confined by some to their first redemption. But I approve of what others say, that the prophet speaks here of many deliverances. We indeed know that the people were brought out of Egypt but once, but when they were afterwards oppressed, he stretched forth his hand to deliver them. God then had from old time, but at various periods, shaken off the yoke of the people, for this is evident from the book of Judges. As then the people were not made free, except through God's kindness, who redeemed them, ought they not to have devoted themselves to the service of their Redeemer? For on this condition, and for this end, they were redeemed by God, that they might consecrate themselves wholly to him. God then now condemns the people for their ingratitude, because they thought that the yoke was shaken off, that they might be, as he, as we shall hereafter find, like untamable wild beasts. That what the prophet means may be more evident to us, let us remember what Paul teaches us in the sixth chapter of his epistle to the Romans, that while we serve sin, we are free from righteousness, for we go astray after our lusts, and we are restrained by no bridle, but when God really sets us free from the miserable bondage of sin, we begin to be his servants and the servants of righteousness. For being freed from sin, we become the servants of righteousness, and this is the end of our redemption. But many turn the favor of God into an occasion for licentiousness, and thus abandon themselves as though there was no law and no rule for a holy and upright life. God complains that this was the case with the people of Israel. Thou hast said, I will not serve. It is base ingratitude that thou hast not in the first place regarded me as thy redeemer, and that in the second place thou hast not considered that I dealt so kindly with thee for this, for this very purpose, that thou mightest be mine, for he who has been redeemed by another's kindness is no longer his own. God had redeemed that people, and redemption brought with it an obligation by which the people were bound willingly to submit to God as their ruler and king. Thou hast then said, I will not serve. Thus God complains that his favor had been ill bestowed on the people, 
because they had abused their liberty and turned it into lasciviousness. Footnote. The received text has non-English word to serve and the carry non-English word to transgress. In favor of the latter, there are about 30 manuscripts, while the rest of those examined by Kennecott in all 198, 71 examined throughout, and 127 on particular parts, retain the former verb, and also all the early versions, the Septuagint, the Syriac, the Arabic, the, and the Vulgate. The Targum only has the latter. Piscator, June, and Trem, Capellus, Blaney, and Horsley decide with Calvin in favor of the former, while Munster and Gattaker side with our version and that of Geneva, in which the latter has been adopted. Clearly, the former has the weight of authority, and the contrast, too, is striking. I have broken thy bonds of slavery, but thou hast refused to serve or obey me. The former part of this verse is of the same, same purport with verse 6, and the latter with verse 25. The verse begins with non-English word rendered for in our version by Calvin, and many others, but surely by Blaney, and verily by Horsley. It is omitted in the Vulgate. Were it rendered though, the meaning would be more evident. Though from old time I had broken thy yoke, I had burst thy bands asunder, yet thou hast said, I will not obey. For on every high hill and under every green tree thou ramblest, playing the strumpet. Editor and footnote. And the reason that is subjoined more fully explains the meaning, for Thou, for thou didst run here and there as a harlot on every high hill and under every shady tree. For we know that the Israelites, whenever they departed from God, had some particular places on hills and under trees as though greater sanctity were there than anywhere else. And at this day the case is the same with the papists. For the devotion, or rather the diabolical madness by which they are carried away, is of a similar kind. Oh, this place, they say, is more favorable to devotion than another. There is in it more sanctity. Of the same opinion were the Israelites, for they thought they were nearer heaven when they went up to a mountain. They also thought that they had a more familiar intercourse with God when concealed under shady trees. And we see that the same folly has ever bewitched all heathen nations, for they imagined that God was nigher them on hills, and thought that there was some hidden divinity in fountains and under the shades of trees. As then this superstition has long prevailed among the Israelites, God here reproves them, because they ran here and there. But we must further notice the comparison. He says that they were like harlots, who, having cast off all shame, run here and there, not only because they burn with insane lust, but are also carried away by their own avaric avariciousness there we go thou harlot he says just run here and there on all the high hills and under all the shady trees as though he had said this is what I have effected in delivering thee thou thinkest that unbridled liberty has been granted thee hence then it is that thou art become so wanton as to follow thy base lusts it follows verse 21 yet I had planted thee a noble vine Holy a right seed, how then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine into me, unto me? 
God here confirms what it is said in the last verse. For he condemned the Israelites for having perversely run here and there after their superstitions, when yet they had been redeemed for this end, that they might be ruled by the hand of God. Hence he says, I planted thee as a choice vine, that is, when I redeemed thee from thine enemies, I did not give thee permission thus to prostitute thyself without any restraint, without any shame, for I planted thee as a choice vine. The metaphor is well known, and often occurs, for God frequently compares his church to a vine. He calls it generally his heritage, or his land, but as vines expel other, other possessions, for they are usually preferred to pasture lands or to cultivated fields. As when vines are the most valuable property, God hereby testifies how highly he values his church. For he calls it his vine rather than his pasture or his field when he speaks of it. So he does in this place. I did not deliver thee from Egypt, that I might afterwards throw aside every care of thee, but my purpose was that thou shouldest strike roots and become a heritage precious to me as an exquisite and noble vine. I therefore planted thee a generous vine, Shuruk, that thou mightest bring me forth fruit. Then he says, a holy right seed. Footnote. The word means not only the seed of vegetables, but whatever forms that from which anything grows. It is applied as a verb to the planting of shoots or cuttings in Isaiah 17.10. The proper rendering here would be, the whole of it, a genuine plant or shoot. What is rendered choice vine is the yellow vine. The best was so called because it produced wine of that color. End footnote. That is, I planted thee for this end, that thou mightest produce fruit acceptable and pleasant to me. God regards here his own grace, and not the character of the people. For that people, as it is well known, was never a true seed, but God here shows the purpose for which he had redeemed the people, which was that they might be like a choice vine. How then, he adds, God speaks here of their corruptions with wonder, for the indignity was such as was enough to astonish all men. How then art thou turned to me into degenerations? So I render surim, though the word is not in common use in Latin, but it is enough for me if we understand the meaning of the prophet. The word is derived from S-U-R, sur, to turn aside or back. We ought to say then correctly, into turnings aside. But as this would be obscure when the vine is spoken of, I have not hesitated to fix on another word. How then art thou turned to me into the degenerations of a true of a strange vine? Some give this version into useless bunch, branches of grapes. But I know not whence they have taken the words. I wish to keep to what is more genuine, that the vine, which ought to have been fruitful, had so degenerated that it produced nothing, as we shall find in another place, but wild grapes. Footnote. Much difference exists as to the literal meaning of this clause, though the general meaning is quite evident. None of the early versions are the same. The word, non-English word, is rendered into bitterness by the Septuagint. Thou hast rebelled by the Syriac into what is corrupt in problem by the Vulgate. Thou hast declined from my fear by the Targum. Blaney takes it as a verb in the imperative mood and renders the two lines thus. Yet how I find thee changed, depart, O vine, as spurious growth. But there is a harshness and incongruity in this version that renders it inadmissible. 
besides vine of spurious growth, uh, is not the meaning of the words used, for it is a foreign vine, that is, a heathen vine, which contains an allusion to the idolatry which had been imported from heathen nations. It, it is most probable that non-English word, or in full non-English word, means degenerate shoots or branches, as Parkhurst thinks. To turn aside, to decline, to degenerate, seems to be the most common meaning of the verb. There would, in this case, be a congruity in the whole verse. And I myself had planted thee a choice vine, the whole of it a genuine plant. How then art thou become to me the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? The plant was of the best kind, but the shoots or the branches had become degenerated, such as a foreign or heathen vine produced. Editor. End footnote. And he calls them the turnings aside of a strange vine, which ceases to be the choice vine, Shurek. And it is turned to a wild vine, which produces nothing but sour or bitter fruit. And in the last place, as it brought forth nothing useful, God justly calls it a strange vine. Verse 22. For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord. We have already seen, and the prophet will often repeat the same thing, that the people were become so refractory that they would not willingly give, away to any, give way to any reproof, for they are almost all of such a hard front and so obdurate in their wickedness that they dared insolently to raise objections against the prophets whenever they severely reproved them. What? Are not we God's holy people? Has he not chosen us? Are we not the holy seed of Abraham? It was therefore necessary for the prophets to apply a hard wedge to a hard knot, as they commonly say. As then the Israelites were like a knotty wood, it was necessary to strike hard their obstinacy. On this account, Jeremiah now says, Even if thou wert to wash thyself with nitre, and multiply to thee boreth, yet thine iniquity would be before me marked, that is, Ye effect nothing when ye set forth various pretenses for the sake of excusing your impiety. Wash yourselves, but your iniquity remains marked before me. The prophet speaks in the person of God that he might add more weight to the denunciation he pronounced on the Israelites, and by which he reduced to nothing their self-flatteries, according to what was, has already been stated. By Niter and Boreth they removed stains and cloths and hence Boreth is often mentioned in connection with Fuller's. But there is no need of a laborious inquiry, whether it was an herb or dust or something of that kind, for as to what is meant, it is generally agreed that the prophet teaches us by this metaphor. The hypocrites gain nothing by setting up their pretenses, that they may escape when God condemns them. Hence he says that all their attempts would be vain and fruitless. How so? because their iniquity remained unwashed, that is, because they could not remove by washing what is imprinted. Spots or, st or stains can indeed be cleansed or washed away by soap or other things, but when the stain is inward and imprinted within, washing will avail nothing, for the marks are so deep that some more effa efficacious remedy must be adopted. So now the prophet says that the stains were imprinted and therefore could not be washed away or cleansed by soap or boreth. <coughs> Footnote. 
What we call nitre is different from the nitron here mentioned. The verb from which the noun is derived means to loosen or to set free, and hence the article called nitron dissolves in water and loosens and washes away, washes away spots and stains. Boreth was an verb, I'm sorry, boreth was an herb which, being burnt and its ashes dissolved in water, had a strong cleansing powder. Editor and footnote. But the prophet says that the stains were marked or stamped before God, for it was a common thing that the Israelites, with the Israelites, to clear themselves from blame. Nay, so great was their audacity that they openly opposed the prophets as though some great wrong was done to them. <coughs> and they called the prophets accusers and slanderers. Hence he says, Thine iniquity is stamped before me. That is, however thou mayest be self-flatteries, deceive thyself, and hidest thy sins before the world, yet thou gainest nothing, for in my sight thine iniquity ever remains stamped. Footnote. <coughs> the verb rendered stamped is only found here in Nifle, but as a par participle noun, and it seems to mean gold stamped or marked to show its genuineness. A stain or spot is not what it signifies, as given by the Septuagint and the Vulgate, nor a blot, according to Blaney, but it refers to the stamp or mark imprinted on a hard metal, such as gold, and this idea alone corresponds with the other parts of the verse. A stain, a spot, or a blot might be cleansed by abstergence, but not a mark stamped on a metal. But thou washest thyself with nitron, and multipliest for thyself fuller's ashes. Stamped is thine iniquity before me, saith the Lord Jehovah. Editor and footnote. <clears throat> he afterwards adds, verse 23, How canst thou say, I am not polluted, I have not gone after Balaam? See thy way in the valley, know what thou hast done. Thou art a swift dromedary traversing her ways. Jeremiah goes on here with his reproof and dissipates the clouds of hypocrites under which they thought themselves to be sufficiently concealed. For hypocrites, when they allege their fallacious pretenses, think themselves already hidden from the eyes of God and from the judgment of all men. Hence the prophet here sharply condemns the supine self-security and says, How darest thou to boast that thou art not polluted? How, how darest thou to say that thou hast not walked after Balaam, that is, after strange gods? I have already said that by this word were men inferior gods. For though the Jews acknowledged one supreme being, yet they sought for themselves patrons, and hence arose, as it is usual, a great number of gods. The superstitious never lapsed into that degree of impiety and madness, but they, that they ever confessed that there is some supreme deity, but they added some inferior gods. And thus they had their Balaam and patrons, like the papists, who call their patrons saints, for they dare not in their delusions to call them gods. Such was the sophistry of the Jews. How then, he says, canst thou excuse thyself and say that thou hast not walked after Balaam? See, he adds, thy ways. See what thou hast done in the valley, and know at length that thou hast been like a swift dromedary. The prophet could not have fully expressed the furious passions which then raged in the Jews without comparing them to dromedaries. And as he addressed the people in the feminine gender, the female dromedary is mentioned. I consider that she is called swift, not only on account of the celerity of her course, 
but on account of her impetuous lust, as we shall presently see. Now this passage teaches us that the people had become so hardened that they insolently rejected all reproofs given them by the prophets. Their impiety was openly manifest, and yet they ever dared to allege excuses for the purpose of showing that the prophets unjustly condemned them. Nor are we to wonder that that such contumacy prevailed in that ancient people, since at this day we find that the papists, with no less perverseness, resist the clear light of truth. For however gross and shameful their idolatry appears, they yet think that they evade the charge by merely saying that their statues and images are not idols, and that the people of Israel were indeed condemned for inventing statues for themselves, but that they did this because they were prone to superstition. Hence their cry, they cry against us, and say that the worship which prevails among them is unjustly calumniated. We see, and even children know, that under the papacy every kind of superstition prevails, and yet they seek to appear innocent and free from every blame. The same was the case formerly, and as the temple continued, and the people offered sacrifices there, and as some kind of religion remained, whenever the prophets reproved the impious corruptions, which were blended with and vitiated the, worship, the pure worship of God, and which were called adulteries, as they were, as they everywhere declare, what, they said, do we not worship God? This very perverseness is what the prophet now condemns by saying, how darest thou to say, I am not polluted, I have not walked after Balaam. So the papists say at this day, Do we not believe in one God? Have we devised for ourselves various gods? Yet they rob God of all his power and dishonor him in a thousand ways, and at the same time they assert against us with a meretricious mouth and an iron front that they worship the one true God. Footnote. The Jews, it seems, says Laos, had found out distinctions whereby to reconcile the worship of the true God with these religious rites which they paid to the deities of the heathen, called here Balaam. These, they pretended, were only inferior demons or spirits, or the souls of men departed, and might be worshipped in subordination to the supreme God. Scott adds to this quotation this just remark. This, and nothing better, can the papists urge in excuse of their manifest idolatry in worshipping saints and angels. Editor and footnote. The case is exactly the same with the Jews, but the prophet here proves their boasting to be vain and grossly false. See, he says, thy ways in the valley, see what thou a swift dromedary has done. As thou could not be overcome by reasons, their willfulness being so great, the prophet compares them to wild animals. Ye are, he says, like lascivious dromedaries, which are so carried away by lust that they forget everything while pursuing their own courses. It follows, verse 24, A wild ass used to the wilderness that snuffeth up the wind at her pleasure, in her occasion who can turn her away. All that they seek her will not weary themselves. In her month they shall find her. As Jeremiah had called the people a dromedary, so now he calls them a wild ass. Thou, he says, art both a dromedary and a wild ass. For when a wild ass has caught the, wi- the wind according to her desire, that is, when she has pantingly sought it, and has caught the wind of her occasion, that is, such as may chance to be, for he meant to show by this expression that there is no choice made by beasts, no judgment shown, no moderation exercised. When, therefore, she has caught the wind, whenever chance may take her, 
No one can restrain her from her impetuous course, and he who pursues her will in vain fatigue himself until he finds her in, the mo in her month. By these words, the prophet intimates that the untamable madness of the people, that, that they could not by any means be restrained, being like a wild ass, which cannot be tamed nor divested of its wildness, especially when she has caught the wind. For were she shut in, bolts might do something as to prevent her headlong course. But when a wild ass is free and allowed to ramble over hill and dale, when she catches the wind and catches it according to her desire, that is, when she can wander here and there and nothing prevents her from rambling in all directions, when such a liberty is allowed to wild animals that they catch the wind and the wind of occasion, that is, in any wind that may chance to be, there is no reason, as the prophet seems to intimate, in wild beasts, nor do they keep within any due bounds. When any one of us undertakes a journey, he inquires how far he can go in one day. He avoids weariness and provides against it as far as he can, and after having fixed the extent of his journey, he thinks of a resting place, and he also makes inquiries as to the right way and the best road. The case is different with wild animals, for when they begin to run, they go not to lions or to lost them, but abandon themselves to a blind impulse, and then when they are fatigued, they cease not to proceed in their course, for lust hurries them on. We now perceive the design of the prophet. He then adds, Who can bring her back? As though he had said that the people could not be stopped or brought back to anything like moderation, for a wildness, yea, rather a complete madness, had taken an entire possession of them. Footnote. The grammatical anomalies at the beginning of this verse are satisfactorily removed by Parkhurst, and what he has proposed is approved by Horsley. He considers non-English word to be the female dromedary. He derives non-English word from non-English word, measure, or extent, with a non-English letter, prefixed, and regards non-English word as the true reading, being that of the carry and of the largest number of manuscripts. This verse and the preceding are to be thus connected. Verse 23. How canst thou say, I have not polluted after Balaam, have I not walked? See thy way in the valley, know what thou hast done, like a swift dromedary which winds about her courses. A female which, in the wide space of the wilderness, through the desire of her natural instinct, snuffs up the wind she meets with. Who can turn her back, all who seek her? Let them not weary themselves in her months that they shall find her. By winding about her courses, or tracks, or ways, is meant running in this and in that direction, and not in a straight course. The word, as a noun, denotes the strung or latchet, string or latchet by which the ancients fastened their sandals, and which they twined around the feet. The, wine she, the wind she meets with is literally the wind of her meeting. The Septuagint and the early versions have departed widely from the original. The Vulgate co comes nearest to it, nor is the Targum far off. Editor and footnote. It afterwards follows, there is no reason for anyone to weary himself. He will at length find her in her month. All interpreters agree that this month is to be taken for the time of foaling. When the wild asses are in full, and the time of par. Parturition draws an eye 
They are then restrained by their bar by their burden and may be easily caught as they retain not their previous swiftness for they carry a burden. The prophet then says that the people were like wild asses for they could be restrained by no instruction and nothing could bridle their excesses but that the time of parturition might be waited for. <coughs> Let us now see how this similitude applies to the people. The verse contains two parts. The first part shows, as I have already said, that the people could not be turned away by any warnings, nor would they obey any counsels, but were carried away by their insane passions, as it were, by the wind of occasion, or in any wind that might blow. This is the first part. Now, as the obstinacy of the people was so great, God here declares to hypocrites that the time would come when he would put a restraint on them and break down their impetuous infatuation. How? The time of parturition would come, that is, when ye shall have done many iniquities, your burden will stop and restrain you. And he intimates that it would be the time of his judgment, as though he had said, You must be dealt with, not as sane men, endued with a sound mind, for ye are wild beasts, which cannot be tamed. What then remains to be done, as the wild ass is weighed down with her burden when, she, when the time of parturition approaches? So I will cause you at length to feel the burden of your iniquities, which will be by its weight intolerable, and though your perverseness is untamable, yet my hand will be sufficient to restrain you, for I shall break you down, as you will not bend nor obey my instruction. We now then understand the import of the similitude, and how applicable it was to the cause of the people, the use of which ought to be learnt also by us in the present day. The rest tomorrow. <coughs> <clears throat> Prayer Grant, Almighty God, that as it pleased thee, when thou didst deliver us from the tyranny of Satan, to lay on our necks thy yoke, O grant that we may be influenced by the spirit of docility, and of obedience, and of meekness, and willingly submit ourselves to thee throughout the whole course of our life, so that thou mayest gather from us the fruit of thy redemption, and may we so renounce sin that we may devote ourselves to thy service, and become the servants of righteousness, until having finished the course of our, of our warfare, we shall be gathered into that blessed rest which has been obtained for us by the blood of thine only begotten Son. Amen. <coughs> this Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater Revival's books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by mail at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, <coughs> <clears throat> or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to, ed, to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list, so once you've sent us your email address, you will be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. 
Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the new free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and text, etc. <coughs> SWRB makes available on the web as well as at times to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to, to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends, but we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message, including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading, and remember that Isaiah 26.3 states, <coughs> Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And Second Corinthians 13.11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. <laughs>